Good morning. It is great to be here and uh, to be able to share with you again today in this time of worship. And uh, we're going to begin with uh, reading from God's Word. It's on page 301 in your Pew Bible. Or if you want to look that up in your Bible app, that would be great as well. It's 1 Kings. It helps if I tell you what it is. 1 Kings 19. We're going to read the first four verses. It will not be on the screen, so that's why I'm giving you an opportunity to look it up. Plus, it's just good discipline to know your way around your Bible, I believe. So, 1 Kings 19, verses 1 through 4. Would you stand together with me for the reading of God's Word? First Kings 19, verse 1, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose And ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life. For I am no better than my father's. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We've all been there, right? Where Elijah finds himself in our scripture reading today. Where our minds say, our hearts say, We might even say it out loud. It is enough now, O Lord. In fact, you may be there today as we come into this time with God's Word. I think one of the mistakes that we make in our study of the Bible is that we assume that the characters that we read about in the Scripture are somehow different than us. And yes, they are different. They lived in a different time. They lived in a different place. But I want to call to our attention today, they were flesh and blood, human beings created in the image and likeness of God, just as we are. The 16th century reformer, Martin Luther, commenting on this very passage of Scripture, urged his readers not to consider the saints of the Bible as being more or less holy than themselves. And if you're acquainted with Luther's life, you'll know that he himself struggled from time to time with bouts of depression. In a similar way, that 19th century prince of preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, tells us in his writings of his own struggles with discouragement, with depression, 
Even in the moments of his greatest success, he found himself somehow feeling not good. One of my mentors, the late Garland Bear, would say that it is often in the aftermath of great spiritual victories in our lives in the local church that we should anticipate the counterattack of the evil one. This is exactly what we've read about today in the life of Elijah the prophet. Since our time together a couple of weeks ago where Elijah was taken care of in the home of the widow of Zarephath, the book of 1 Kings recounts for us two significant events. First, how the Lord had enabled Elijah to win a decisive victory over the 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And then following that, how God had confirmed this great victory when he answered the prophet's prayer for a drought-ending rain which maybe we're going to get a little bit of one today. I don't know. I hope so. But notice with me how now everything has changed for Elijah. His world is coming down upon him. What can we learn from his experience with the Lord that might help us recognize the weapons of Satan's warfare in our own lives? But first of all, Elijah faced opposition. We find the prophet intimidated by the threats that came at him from Queen Jezebel. And so in fear, he traveled, the Bible says he ran, nearly 100 miles on foot from Jezreel, in, north, in the northern kingdom of Israel, to Beersheba in the southern part of Judah to escape the danger that her threats, which were very real, represented. First, he faced opposition. Next, Elijah experienced isolation. In Beersheba, he leaves his servant and travels another day into the wilderness to be by himself. This resulted in a loneliness that can be one of the devil's most effective weapons in discouraging us as believers. Then add the fact that he would have by this time, I don't care how, what kind of good shape he might have been in physically, he would have been worn out with exhaustion. I mean, we're talking about an ultra marathon here in terms of a hundred miles. Think about what he has gone through physically. Think about what he's gone through emotionally. And now he's on the run for his life. And I'll tell you, eventually, if we are so stressed in our lives, it will impact us spiritually as well to the point of where Elijah is today in a state of depression. That's where we find Elijah in the opening verses of 1 Kings 19. He is lost in self-pity. He is overwhelmed with fear and grief. Haven't we all felt the same way that Elijah did when he can only cry out to God, It is enough now, O Lord. Maybe you're there 
right now. Today, as you found yourself into this time of worship. Brothers and sisters, praise God. We can, God sees us, even if we don't know it, He sees us in those times of trouble. He hears us when, he, when we cry out to Him for help. And as He did with Elijah, God is able, more than able, to meet us at our point of need, whatever it might be today. Over the course of the rest of the chapter, we're going to see how the Lord provided for his servant, Elijah. But before we do that, I couldn't help but notice these young lives that were lined up before us this morning, thinking about how precious they are. I don't even know them, but children are a precious gift from God. Thinking about their precious, tender faith, they have no idea what they're getting themselves into. And to think about the sovereign Lord, who as pastors expressed encouragement and prayed for them, how he is going to be with them in the days, the weeks, the months, the years ahead, whatever their lives may bring, may they know God the way Elijah, God's servant, did long ago. Here's the first thing, God cared for Elijah physically. I think sometimes we minimize that aspect of life. We don't take it nearly enough into account. But we read beginning with verse 5, and he lay down. We're talking about Elijah. He lay down and he slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. It's not a stretch of the imagination to assume that he would have been thinking, he would have been reminded of the raven that had fed him at the brook Cherith, or of the widow with whom he had experienced hospitality and care, the widow of Zarephath. We continue on in verse 7. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights. To Horeb, or you may in your translation see the word Sinai. It's the same place, the Mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. That's right, where Moses centuries earlier had encountered Yahweh, the Lord of hosts. So Elijah finds himself on this day as well. Notice how God in this scene allows Elijah a time to rest. A time to be refreshed and renewed. Sometimes I think when we feel like we're at a point of desperation, when we've reached the end of our rope, we can't go a step further, that the best thing we can do is to take care of ourselves physically. 
You know, it, I am thoroughly convinced that it is a holy thing to take a nap. God cared for him physically. Next, we read how God changed Elijah's perspective. We pick it up in the middle of verse 9 where the text tells us, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, they've thrown down your altars, they've killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Here is God's response, verse 11. said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. Did that for Moses too, if you'll recall. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak. And he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Continuing on, and behold, there came a voice to him. And said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Then in verse 15, and the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness, Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, and of Abel-Meholah, say that real fast. You shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave seven thousand in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. I want, to notice, I want you to notice something that is really quite obvious. In fact, it may be so obvious that we might overlook it, which is why I want us to notice it. And that is, in the case of these last several verses Absolutely nothing, I repeat, absolutely nothing has changed about Elijah's circumstances. 
except for one thing, and that is his perspective. He entered into these moments with God completely convinced that he was the only one left. Now, was he not aware of these others? Had he forgotten about them? I know in my trouble, in my grief, in my despair, I often can can so retreat into myself that I'm completely oblivious to what's going on around me. Maybe you've done that too. Yet God says, I will leave 7,000. Was it a literal 7,000 or just a host of individuals? I don't know that it matters. What mattered was Elijah's perspective, God changed. He wasn't alone. God was with him, and there were a host of people as well who had not, had not bowed the knee to Baal. Which brings me to the third thing, and that is how God called for Elijah a protege. We're going to pick it up in verse 19. So he departed from there, that's Elijah, and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. You see, not only had God cared for Elijah physically, Not only had God changed his perspective as well about the circumstances that he was facing in life, but now God offers to him an incredible gift. He provides for him a friend, a partner, a protege in Elisha. And don't you love the way Elisha responds? Whatever you want to make about Pairing up the yoke and slaughtering the animals and cooking the meat, it says to me that Elisha was done with his former way of life. Things would never, ever be the same again for him because he'd received the call of God upon his life. And here we see that God teaches him that we not only need God, but we need one another as well in this life of faith, especially on those days when we feel like saying, it is enough now, O Lord. Several weeks ago, uh, I had my annual doctor's visit. You'll be interested to know, folks, of Grace Chapel, that my doctor is uh, Dr. Matt, and um, he's been my doctor for over a decade now. My previous doctor I'd had for 30 years, and I thought there's no way that 
this young guy <laughs> could ever be as great as my doctor Gus Hustad was, but um, Dr. Matt has certainly fit the bill for me. Marcia, the night before, as we were talking about my doctor's visit the next day, asked me a very, well, disturbing question. She asked me, are you going to tell him about your irritability? I'm glad you all thought that was funny. Now, when, when, when people say stuff like that to you, I don't know how you respond, but throughout my life, most of the time when people say, suggest stuff like that to me, <clears throat> well, I get irritable. <laughs> but this time, you know, being married 46 years does have its lessons in life. And I said, I guess I will be. So we talked about it the next day, and after we eliminated, you know, he, (laughs) you know, for an old guy and a guy who's overweight, you know, his opinion of me is that I'm really in pretty good, pretty good condition. So obviously there was not a physical cause for my irritability. It must be something else. And I just want you to know that Dr. Matt, the one you know as elder and pastor here at the church, As a friend, I know him that way too. I know I was in the doctor's office, but a brother in Christ talked with me, took the time, listened to me, helped me put together a plan in terms of how I could address the irritability that was present in my life. We need each other, especially in moments of brokenness and weakness. I love in the book of James, chapter 5, where we read about, James is talking about Elijah as this great man of faith, the guy who's known for his prayer life. And in that very same section in close proximity, this is what he says, James does, to the early church. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Not only do we need each other, but we need Jesus. And I just want to encourage us today as I wrap this up, may we respond to that great invitation that he has extended to us today and every day as we walk by faith. That invitation that Isaac reminded us of last week and taught through that passage for us last week. That passage where Jesus says to us, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, when we are at that point in our lives when we say, it is enough now, O Lord. This is what the Lord us. I am. I am all you.
just a few moments, we're going to be gathering around this table, which is the tangible expression of the invitation that I've just spoken of. At the conclusion of this service, there will be those from the prayer team who will make themselves available at the front where we can experience firsthand what I talked about earlier, how when we confess our sins to each other and pray for one another, the Bible tells us that we can anticipate that the healing process of God's activity in our lives will be experienced. That there is something incredibly powerful when people, God's people, gather together to pray. And especially if you're at a point in time right now when you're feeling like, I've had enough, Lord, would you come and experience how Jesus is? Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this powerful story, the lessons that it teaches us, how you ministered to Elijah physically, emotionally, and spiritually. You provided for him human companionship in place of his loneliness. You brought corrective to his thinking that didn't mean that the circumstances had changed, but he became aware of how there were a whole lot more resources, divine resources, in fact, that were available than he ever could have imagined. Oh, Lord, may we, like Elijah long ago, especially if we are in a moment of, it is enough, Lord, may we discover again, or maybe for the first time, coming to faith in Jesus, that you are enough. We pray in Jesus' name.